Hello and welcome back listeners to the Uncommon Woman for an Uncommon Time podcast. Our title is inspired by a poem line written by a CSJ sister, Alberta Kamek. The podcast is intended for students and community members of Mount St. Mary's University in Los Angeles. In our episodes, we share leadership lessons, stories, and ideas, and help to explore Mount Leeds, our leadership language at MSMU and the four core principles. I am your host, Erica McKissick, third year undergraduate student and student leader at Mount St. Mary's University. I study film, media, and social justice with the intention to create media that can shift our culture. Each week, we invite a special member of our community to help explore buzzwords, topics, or elements of Mount Leeds. Let's get started with this week's segment. Today, I'm so excited to have Dr. Kimberly now on for our episode. I cannot say how much I've wanted to talk to you, discuss with you, chat with you for such a long time, for an extended amount of time. So I really do appreciate this hour that we have today. Great to be with you, Erica. I feel very honored that you've asked me to participate in this. Awesome. And so if you could just give an introduction of yourself, um, you know, some of the roles that you have on campus, um, any interesting facts, as well as your pronouns. So my name's Kimberly now, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I've been working in the education department for about the past five years. Uh, I'm an associate professor in education. And aside from that, I am also an equity fellow, meaning that I have been working pretty extensively with the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion on initiatives to um, make sure that equity is at the forefront of the work that we do here at the Mount. It's always at the forefront of work that I do in terms of education. I was you know, just talking to friends about the fact that I actually have a hard time not infusing diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really social justice and anti-racism into the work that I do. Um, of course, this past year and you know, last summer has meant that um, after the George Floyd incident that I have taken this very strongly into a direction of healing, a healing element that needs to go in as well, especially for the black community. So, um, so that's the work that I do here at the Mount. But I come uh, from, uh, I did my PhD in education at UCLA and, um, and there I was in the urban schools department or, or portion or program. And in the urban schools program, we studied the sociology of education and how different racial groups, genders, et cetera, are impacted within the educational pipeline. And so, um, and I came to that work, I'm just sort of working backwards <laughs> after having been, uh, after having working worked in local high schools. So I was an English teacher and then I also was a student advocate. Um, there was a position called student outreach coordinator. And so I worked with students who were struggling. I also created a mentorship program for African-American students and um, just always had a vision of education and schooling being not just a safe space for black students and other students of color, but a space of thriving and of leadership and of healing and all of that, because that's not what I had when I was going through school. And so I, I think that um, I, I wanted to create the spaces that I had wanted to see in school. You know, And I think of Toni Morrison when she says, I wrote the books that I wanted to read 
you know, I kind of feel like I've been trying to create the educational spaces that I wanted to have. Um, and so that's been my mission or my journey and goal and vision um, ever since I would say undergraduate, um, my undergraduate education. So yeah, that's about that in terms of here, a little bit of my background. Yes, that was a lovely introduction. And I, I could see a lot of what you were saying um, even as your student, how you said that you you create these comforting spaces within your um, your lesson plans, within you, how you educate. Um, that's something that I've noticed personally. Um, and being in your class, I felt so comfortable, so welcomed and appreciated in your class, truly. Um, and I love how you mentioned you have a vision. And that's so powerful um, when you have a vision, because that's something that you can look back on when you're studying your values and what you want to do. And um, I think it's amazing how you continue to uplift um, the black community and just, I think people of color, I mean, period, um, within your classroom setting and with, and not even just in your classroom setting, but within universities, you mentioned that you are an equity fellow. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, I never knew that existed here. One. And two, how do I join? No. Uh, that's that's so amazing. That's that was yes, that was an amazing introduction. Thank you. Yes, I mean, I think when you talk about a vision and you talk about, you know, me uplifting the black community, I really see the black community uplifting me. You know, we have undergone such trauma in this country since its inception. And as sad as that is, and as tragic as that is and continues to be, we have developed some uh, resilience strategies. We've, we've developed a way of being and a way of life that allows us to thrive despite that level of oppression we've been experiencing. And so, you know, we have this expression, um, if you can see it, you can be it. You know, and we also have people like Martin Luther King who had a dream. You know, we also had, you know, even as people like Harriet Tubman who had, who literally had visions and those visions are what allowed her to lead people to freedom. And so being able to see the thing that you wanna create is super crucial. Like if you, if you could see it, that's the first step toward making that happen. And then the next steps of course are taking the action. So, you know, it's really important to be able to dream a world and, you know, these kinds of phrases and tropes are common in African-American culture. We say these things all the time. We refer to each other as kings and queens, you know, because we are. And when other people don't see that about us, we have to know that because if we don't know it, who will, you know? And so when I have students enter into my classroom, I'm coming from, I want to honor this student. I want to honor their experience. And I want them to reach back and see and hold on to their own, um, their own wonder, their own grandeur, their own nobility and all of that, because we have that. And it just gets hidden and it gets glossed over or underestimated or, um, or just undervalued. And so um, whether my students are black or other students of color or or white students, I want to make sure that students see their value and see the, their strengths. And so that's that's the kind of classroom that I try to create. 
And it's very successful, very successful. Even when I get things wrong in your class, sometimes in some places you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I just got that wrong. But when I'm in your class, I'm like, oh, it's okay. Like, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, you acknowledge, like, you're like, you know, great try and you're on the right track <laughs> or, you know, you, you uplift. And I, um, and equally, um, even just before this meeting, as I <laughs> went into how much I adore you, basically, I, I wanted to, I'm glad that we as a community, community can also uplift you. Um, and I mean, I could have used a teacher like you as a kid. I really could have, honestly. <laughs> I could have um, used that. <laughs> yeah, I think we all could have used a teacher um, like you as a child because, I mean, even I think every, a lot of people experience this where um, the people who are meant to teach them will underestimate them um, or not think that they can do something instead of saying, how can they do this? How can I help them achieve this and do this? Um, and they see the struggle and only think, oh, that's just their barrier. They're not going to climb over that. Um, and I'm not going to help them climb over that, which is your job, which is what you're supposed to do is teach and educate. So um, that's even now as I am, <laughs> I struggle in your class. However, I know and I know and I understand um, to the point where I feel I'm, I'm comfortable and I really do appreciate um, the setting that you create. And um, if anything, it just speaks to, again, um, just your background and, and all the work that you've done as well. Um, it seems like this vision has been something that you've, you've had <laughs> for quite some time. <laughs> yeah. Without even really realizing it, you know, because I think we all know what's missing. Even if we're a small child, we know what's missing. And we know what, what we want. We know we want to be validated. You know, we know we want to be seen and heard. And so maybe as a small child, we can't articulate that in the ways that are necessary, but it's there. We can feel it. And, you know, I have to acknowledge that even though I'm saying, oh, I didn't have the kind of schooling I would have liked to have had. Along the way, there has always been one teacher or one role model who has helped me get through the year or years of my schooling. And, and so I had that one teacher in elementary school who I had in first grade, who was a black woman and she uh, helped usher me through elementary school. And I think I didn't realize at the time that she was doing that. And at some points I probably even resented her a little bit because she was really, I went to all white uh, elementary school and she was approaching me as a, as a black woman to a black child and saying, okay, you're a black child, this is how things need to be for you, or this is how you need to operate. And I wasn't always, you know, willing to hear that because I just wanted to fit in and be like everybody else. But that wasn't going to work. That wasn't going to work in that setting. And my mom's Japanese, so she couldn't give me that same guidance that this black woman was trying to give me. And, and now I look back, and I'm like, I'm so grateful that she was there as my guardian angel going through elementary school. And then also in high school, there was that one black teacher that I had once for one class, but she looked out for me the rest of the time. And then even in my career and uh, my undergraduate, I had a professor named Dr. Barbara Christian, who was a you know, world-renowned uh, feminist critic. Uh, she was a literary critic. And she was my role model in my undergrad. You know, And then I had Dr. Sylvia Rousseau, and I'm naming these women because I think it's important to name them. 
Um, so in elementary school, it was Gwendolyn Poche. In, um, in, in high school, it was Esther Hugo. College, Barbara Christian. And then in my career, Sylvia Russo was the principal of the school where I worked. And she was such a role model of how to be a leader and how to do so with grace. She was a woman of faith. And so she was able to um, incorporate all of that with how she treated everyone. And she modeled how she wanted other people to treat each other and to treat her. And then here at the Mount, it's been um, Bernadette Robert, you know? And so it's, it's, she is such a role model. Um, I love her. And uh, I, I couldn't have gotten through these five years without her. So I just wanted to take the time to name and honor those women who've gotten me through because it's really easy to say, oh, I didn't have what I wanted as and needed as a, you know, in school. But there, there are always these guardian angels that if we can pay attention, they're there. And we might not realize it at the time, but we might realize it later. I absolutely agree and see that. That was beautiful listening to you say that and heartwarming in every way. Um, because I mean, the, the one person that I've always had is my mom and um, she's always looked out for me. She's always, no matter what, even when, I, just as you say, even when I resented the way that she would say things, it's still like, oh, that was pretty valuable to know or to <laughs> for the future to, to understand, um, you know, the world doesn't treat you the same. Even though you want to be the same, they don't. It's it's so unfortunate. And so to to name those Black women and to honor them, that in and of itself is so powerful. Um, and so I, I really do appreciate you, you <laughs> listing them off to me because, I mean, that's inspiring to me. That's who I want to be for um, other Black women and just people generally. I want to be, you know, a beacon of light. <laughs> I want to, I really want to help this world and heal this world in whatever way I can. Um, and as you said, action, how do we do that? And so they showed that action of healing um, by caring you and, and, and caring for you. <laughs> um, that's, that was just a really beautiful, beautiful transition as well into, into our questions. <laughs> um, and my first question was, um, is there a woman in your life in particular that has influenced you greatly? But it seems like all of these women have, it's not just one, it's just, it's many. And so, um, you know, if you have any other women that have uplifted you or, I mean, say them. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess first woman I should sort of name is my aunt, um, Grace. Now I'm named after her. Uh, my middle name is Grace. And um, she just passed away uh, this past February. And um, when someone passes, obviously it's a time to take stock and reflect on the impact they had on your life. And she really had such a huge impact on my life. Um, I definitely would name her along with the women that I named earlier. Uh, she was also an educator. And um, when, she when I was very little, I would sometimes go to her classes with her and sit in with the students. And she was, you know, this Japanese woman teaching mainly Latinx students. And it was always just an interesting um, experience to see your aunt that you always had your own personal relationship with relating to other children in, in this kind of authoritative way where they all respected her, um, but also to see the way that she was tough, but she had so much love for them and she would, 
do multicultural education and culturally responsive education before I think she even knew that there were names for those things. And so it was really beautiful to watch her incorporate so many different cultures within the books that she had them reading and the things that they had them doing, she had them doing. Um, and, and she was just very impactful in my life, um, not just when I was a small child, but throughout my adulthood. She became like a second mother and really um, helped mold the kind of person that I am. And she really was a model for how to lead with grace, like her name, and with um, integrity and with honesty. And so that's something that I really learned from her without realizing that I was learning it from her my whole life. So she's definitely someone. And then other women, you named Alice Walker earlier. Um, you know, Alice Walker's writing got me through my freshman year of college. Um, if it weren't for that book, In Search of Our Mother's Gardens, I don't know what I, that book was so seminal for me. It was such a transitional moment for me. And reading um, The Color Purple, you know, that those two books, and then really all of her books, I started reading everything that she, she wrote. But In Search of Our Mother's Gardens and then The Color Purple shaped my beginnings of a conception of myself as a Black woman. You know, because before that, it's just like, okay, I knew, of course, you know, you're Black, but you're just sort of floating through life and kind of things are happening. But she was articulating the experience of what it means to be a Black woman. And she was doing it in ways that were very validating and that I resonated with. And even her in, in The Color Purple, her discussion of spirituality shaped my perception and conception of spirituality or validated it. So I would include authors such as Audre Lorde and, um, and Barbara Smith and just so many uh, powerful womanist and feminist writers, um, queer writers that um, shaped who I was when I was 18, 19 years old. And I continue to flock to those types of writers as I, um, as I you know, even today. That's, <laughs> I'm so, Whew, amazed, overwhelmed, <laughs> maybe a little unprepared <laughs> about um, how much that you said, um, especially um, in search of our mother's garden. I picked it up once in Barnes and Noble and read like a little bit of an excerpt and didn't know what was going on. Um, but it was just, it, it still spoke to me. So I, I come, I, I have to, I really on a maybe this occasion, separate occasion, pick into your brain about <laughs> books, what books I should read. I am so down to have that conversation. Um, Dr. McMurdoch actually sent me two books. Um, I just finished one. I'm kind of a slow reader. However, I just finished one <laughs> and I'm moving on to the next one. So um, I'm always so down to learn and to gain perspective. Um, and if you have any recommendations from the strong uh, female authors, you know, shoot them out. I'll, I'll, I'll get them personally. Let's do it. Let's start a readers group. I love that. <laughs> I would, I would totally, 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 totally be a part of that in every way, especially if it's like faculty and students. I think yeah. that's another way that we talk about, um, you know, interpersonal connections. Every, um, I think all the episodes that I've had, I've had like women as my guests, like there has, like there has not yet been a single like 
like it's just women and so um something in that some something in that makes me feel so good about myself um Mm -hmm. and hearing all of these women's voices and what they have to say um that's that's something that's been powerful for me in my I mean journey through um you know not only just college but just like life period I've walked away with some really valuable valuable like words and ideas and perspectives that I did not have before speaking so um it's been very it's been it's been a great experience kind of being able to do this um but also learning from this it's been phenomenal and I think the intergenerational conversations are very very necessary because I feel like social media is super beautiful and I love it I'm always on it Um, but we can get caught up in only hearing from people that are like us ironically because we have so much access to everyone through social media but we also because of algorithms we can just get kind of locked into people like us and so I think sometimes it's a little difficult when one generation isn't listening to or speaking with the next generation and so I think intergenerational um, conversations would be fabulous as long as the older generation um, flattens the hierarchy of the assumptions of sort of wisdom from the older. And uh, I've learned a lot on social media from women who are younger than me. And so I think, you know, those conversations will be valuable as long as one, one group, both groups, we sort of flatten the hierarchy. I'll just say it that way. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Like this conversation, it feels really good. I feel like I'm just talking to another woman, not like I'm talking to, oh, I have to give Erica insight and wisdom right now. You know? Exactly. And I, I love how you mentioned that it's it's both ways as well, because um, intergenerational conversations take like a lot of understanding of each perspective um, because it's different perspectives. Like my mom and I, we have we run upon this all the time. And I think um, how you mentioned flatten the hierarchy. I cannot think I'm better because I'm younger and I have this new mindset. And um, she also cannot think that she's better because she has this older, longer mindset. I don't think any of us are better. We're just adding perspective and idea. And I noticed this a lot within my family. I'm like, I'm literally getting a college education. I'm, I'm getting a degree. And they're still like, there's, they still have this idea of like, I'm small, like I'm a child. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, dude, no, wait a minute. And I don't think they do it purposefully, but it's just, that's how they see. I don't know. It's, they see us as this, this young kind of crowd that we, they have to teach but you know we can be taught both ways you know I think my mom she always acknowledges how I've taught her and in that I've kind of learned to acknowledge like she's also taught me I can't take that away from her (laughs) as much as you know I think as when you're a teen it's real hostile so um (laughs) we're gonna remove that and drop that down because in in everything um it's been phenomenal and amazing how my mom and I have been able to gain and learn from each other um, and not even notice because we're stuck in, we are stuck in our own heads and our own ways or stubborn to it. But, you know, I see what 
she says, even if I do not agree with what she says, but she also sees what I say. And she's like, I don't agree, but I can see where you're coming from. Um, and that's been so important as I've evolved into like adulthood, I guess. I don't know. That's kind of weird to say personally, because I don't believe it. Um, but it's also been, um, I'm starting to see that people value more of what I have to say. People don't listen to kids. They do not listen to kids the way that they need to or hear kids the way that they need to be heard. Um, and so now I feel like finally, oh, wow, I have a voice, but it should have always been there. And I should have always been making decisions for my, or not even decisions for myself, but <laughs> you know, thoughts for myself and being able to formulate my opinions based off of what I believed and what I believe in, you know? And some, again, you mentioned your aunt before those terms were even created, <laughs> you know, she was doing that. So some people just, because they didn't know, they couldn't do, you know, but now that we know, how do we, how do we even listen to smaller kids, small, you know, young black girls, what do they have to say? Um, that's, that's super big to me. Oh yeah. I mean, like I said, we've been through some stuff as black folks in this country. And I, I think that, um, black children are are invisible in a lot of ways. And I think interestingly, it might've been D.L. Hughley who was saying that black children or black people are both invisible and viewed. They're also hyper uh, observed, you know, like they're observed and scrutinized more than other children. And yet their humanity is what's invisible. And so, you know, that is, that I think is something that's that's key. But as I mentioned, through those experiences, even, even Black children gain a lot of wisdom. And so, um, yeah, like I said, in my childhood, there were things that I was experiencing and knew that was not correct. Uh, but who listens to a five-year-old, you know? Who listens to a 10-year-old? So... <laughs> And that in and of itself is the problem. We should be listening to a five-year-old. We should be listening to a 10-year-old to see what they have to say. Um, you mentioned humanity is what's invisible. And I agree with that. Oh my gosh. My mom had to fight for me and really yes. like go. She, all the parent-teacher conferences, I remember being called into a teacher conference and being like, I cannot believe this. Like no other parent does this. Like, <laughs> why is it just me? But it's like, no, no other parent does this. Your mom is rooting for you. My reading teacher insinuated that I was late every morning because I had to go get food from the cafeteria because I didn't eat at home. Oh, she wow. Insinuated that she's not, we never even mentioned, my mom was a supervisor. <laughs> and so my mom felt so like disrespected and she basically was like, you don't know any, you don't know where I come from. You don't know what I do. You will not push that on my child. And truthfully, we were late because we're just late people. <laughs> like we're just late. <laughs> School started really early. I had to, she had to be to work at eight, but I had to be to work at, to school at 7.05. So it just was, <laughs> it was a disconnect. It was just because we were just late. Um, so once I saw that experience and moment, I was like, it's caramel like what like I've never even mentioned ever in our relationship that I that I struggle financially at home 
um or and that's and there's no problem with that at all and i don't think there's any no shit like yeah i'm not saying this to be shameful but i'm just saying like don't just assume like yeah. <laughs> don't just push this narrative on people especially for my mother who actually does come from poverty who actually did did come from a background where she sometimes went without meals where she describes you know poverty like it, it's and it's in its rawest form you know and so i can only imagine how hard that moment was for her to hear for that woman to eat, a, a woman who was also a single mother mm. to say something like that you know like yeah. i would never as a woman ever say that to another woman or say or push that narrative um until they communicated you know she has to run to get you know if they say that then you say okay i understand um and we work through it but you don't you don't just do that and so that's that's kind of yeah that <laughs> as you speak upon this and as i say i needed a teacher like you as a kid like really truthfully that's i'm not the only one who ever um experienced um something like like i've not i've not been the only black woman i've not been the only woman i've not been the only you know person to <laughs> to have felt this in their lifetime so yeah. Just, uh, yeah, but how can we incorporate celebrating women into our lifestyle? Um, so that's a really important thing because what you were just describing was in a woman putting another woman down, you know, and a woman judging another woman. And I have found that that happens frequently. As an educator in particular, I hear women teachers saying very judgmental things about mothers. And, um, and so I think step one is we need to stop doing that kind of thing to each other. We need to stop looking at other women and sizing them up and measuring ourselves against them and saying, is this person better than me? Am I better than them? Or putting people down so that we can feel better about ourselves or playing into societal or cultural. And by cultural, I mean like the larger dominant culture definitions of what a woman should be and therefore holding every other woman to that expectation, whether it's expectations of beauty, expectations of the kind of mother they should be, expectations for the kind of careers they should have. Women do a lot of upholding of patriarchy, upholding of racism, upholding of um, uh, sexual uh, uh, heterosexism. And so women, I think first step is to recognize when we do those things and to stop doing them. But the other thing that I've realized that kind of intuitively done in my life is when I'll see other women going about their lives and I will have a moment of mental celebration for that woman. <laughs> you know, like I've been, I remember having this moment where I was getting ready, I was about to drive to work. And of course, you know, you're kind of in that moment of, okay, I gotta go to work. And I looked out and I saw this woman in sort of like her work attire, this black woman. And she was preparing, you know, she was getting up and she was getting into her car to go, go off to her work day. And in my head, I was just like, go girl, you go, you know, just like, go sister, like you're looking good in your suit. And, um, you know, and I think too, other women, not just the women that are in these sort of powerful positions, sometimes I'll look and I'll see a black woman as a, you know, male carrier. And I'll just be like, go sister, you're doing it. You, you know, you got a workload you are dealing with, you know? So I think 
And I don't ever say those things to the people, but in my head, I just have that moment of mental celebration of particularly black women in the way. And the reason I say that is because we have a rough, you know, we see what's going on right now in society. We're mourning right now. We just had the celebration, a moment of celebration, or at least a moment of acknowledgement of George Floyd. We could barely celebrate that or have that moment of satisfaction. And we hear about Makia Bryant, who's been killed, you know? And so it's like, how do we go about our day in mourning and in trauma and yet still having to push forward? So, so when I see black women pushing forward on a daily, despite everything that we go through, I, I take a mental moment to celebrate that. And so now too, as I've gotten older, I have also moved into verbally doing that, like acknowledging other women. And, you know, we have this saying in the black community nowadays where we're like, give her her flowers now, you know, before, before she passes away and everybody sends flowers, give them to her now. And so I'm starting to give women their flowers. I'm starting to acknowledge you know, women when they are making a positive influence in my life or when when they just have a beautiful, you know, sweater on or when they or when they've just said something powerful in a meeting or whatever, I'm trying to acknowledge those moments verbally and not just kind of think things in my head, um, but let women know that there's another woman out there supporting them and seeing them and validating what they're doing well and what they're doing right and supporting them if they're you know falling and that kind of a thing so so I think to me that's how you make it a lifestyle it's not having it's not about like I'm going to start this organization for women and you know like that's fabulous if people can do that do that please do that because lord knows we need it but if you can't do that at least do today when you go for your walk and you see a sister struggling or you see a sister doing the right thing or looking good you know like acknowledge that little, you know, hello, you know, there used to be really common for black folks when we see each other to say hello to each other. And I'm seeing less and less of that sometimes. And it's a little like I miss it. And so uh, I think it's important. And again, this spreads out because when you can do it for your own culture, your own group, your own people, that shows some self-love. And then that helps you expand that out and do that for other people. So now I can do that for the Latina that I see, you know, working hard. I can do that for the Asian sister that I see, you know, being in solidarity with some other group. I can do that for the guy, you know, the, the, the male that I see who's having to hold up to these standards of what it means to be a man and how those are realistic. So, or unrealistic sometimes. And so I think once you can develop that self-love for who you are as a, as a woman or as a woman of color, uh, as a queer woman, then you can branch that out and have compassion and love for other groups. So I think all of those um, those steps are really important. What you just described is how I live my life or try to live my life. I, I was smiling and chuckling this whole time because I was like, Jesus, do you are you in my head, doctor, now? <laughs> have you seen my day-to-day? Every single day, I just try to give love to this world so I could can give love back to myself because I feel good that I've given great energy into the world. That's so powerful. And we're all struggling under the patriarchy. Even men don't see it, but you're just as, you're just as weighted, weighed down and crushed under this system. I mean, not as severe, but you are also reaping some of the negative attributes of the society that we've built. Um, and so how do we dismantle, how do we stop tearing each other down? Um, 
like I now when I had this when I was younger I had this weird sense of superiority um because someone told me I was or because um I thought I was because I had because I was like because I could spell or I was smart like this just false false totally false sense of superiority totally false um because now as a human today I don't believe I'm above nor beneath anybody we are all on this plane working it out trying our best doing our best to live equally as happy and so I always think why can't we all do it and I agree whenever I see anybody who I'm like I like your coat I like your jacket I like your hair I like your overalls <laughs> I'll like say I'm like oh my gosh I love your heels they're like oh my I was like the other day I saw a like a black girl and her hair just looked so amazing I was like oh my goodness like your hair looks gorgeous and she was like thank you like it you could tell that it brought a smile onto their face bringing smile on like making people smile that's that's beautiful to me. That's what I always try to do. Yeah, I'll be in the grocery store and the cash register, the person at the register will help me in a certain kind of way. And I'll say, I love your energy, you know, or I was at Whole Foods and, and I was getting, you know, I was asking, you know, person at the deli area for not, obviously not during COVID, pre-COVID for, for food and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, thank you. And he said, thank you so much for saying thank you. And I was like, what do other people do? And he said, you would be surprised. And that made me sad, you know, that to think that me just showing a base level of politeness to someone, that that person felt it so much that they would say, thank you for being polite because most people aren't that way. So yeah, we, we need to get back to that. We need to get back to um, like just supporting on a base level. <laughs> you know? On the very most basic level. I love yes. um, the what you just said, I love your energy. I'm gonna to have to start using that one. Yeah. Um, that's beautiful. Uh, I, I definitely agree that the mental celebrations, verbal celebrations, the acknowledgement of how great uh, we do as humans, how great we do as women, especially um, as, you, as you mentioned, you know, we had a moment not, and it's like celebrating in the most bare minimum way the most bare minimum way we celebrated. And then we immediately are just throttled, like pushed, forced. Just the fact that they posted the video on, don't stop showing black people being murdered. Stop it. It's, it, it's, it's so heartbreaking. Um, yeah. So again, telling people, hey, you're loved, you're valued, I appreciate you, I see you, I value you, I understand where you're coming from. That means yeah. something, that, that, that really means something. I know it means something to me. Yeah, we have an onslaught of images of trauma and, and those don't just affect the black community, but of course they affect us very strongly because thus, but it affects everyone. So, you know, that kind of um, having the George Floyd moment of, first of all, his, his passing, but then also now what uh, some people are saying is, you know, accountability, not necessarily justice, but at least accountability, which we should have been getting all along. And then it's almost, I don't want to say good, but it's telling that right in that moment of accountability came the killing of a young girl because 
the the thing that is telling about that is let's we can't rest on our laurels and think yes we can celebrate small victories but we have to remember the work continues this was not did not mean that the struggle was over this reminds us that the work continues and if there's one singing group I could have you listen to, it would be Sweet Honey in the Rock. And they have a song called Ella's Song and it was written for Ella Baker. And it says, we who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. And so that's what that sort of reminded us is um, we have more work to do. Yeah, I, 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 when I saw that, I was like, I, everybody, Twitter is, as you, as you said, social media is very interesting. I have a love-hate relationship with social media, if I'm being honest. I love it because it's entertaining, but um, I won't say that I hate anything, but there is this duality or this double, <laughs> this other side of the coin, um, the same coin where it's a lot of negativity, gatekeeping, um, a lot of just like, sometimes it's overwhelming um, you know, the George Floyd case came back and we were all just like, people were celebrating and we were happy. And I think the acknowledgement of, but the work is still not done is very important, but to tell people that they shouldn't feel anything, to tell people, you know, like gatekeeping how people feel, like <laughs> when our trauma is not a collective feeling you you have your own trauma i have my i experience i experience things the way i experience things and you do like how you experience things it's it's so so i think social media has really like it's great to pass on information but also we it's, it's so much, it's, it's sometimes it's too much. People saying some of just the same things. Um, <laughs> and then as soon as we, as you said that this, I, I wish this young woman did not like, she, I saw myself, you know, I was not maybe four years ago, a teenager. I mean, I just turned 20. I was just technically a teenager, 16. How can you how can you see a child? There's been a 13-year-old boy, um, a 17-year-old boy. It's it's been so many children being killed by under the state, under under something that's the law. How do you see a child and then think to fire? That's I mean, I'm not gonna get into politics, but yeah, that's just my <laughs> I <laughs> that's just my thing. It's just really heartbreaking and that's, I think that's another reason why we have to continue to uplift each other because so many people want to, so many bring us down. <laughs> and I, yeah, and I think those school teachers who didn't see you or didn't see me and acknowledge our, our strength, our intelligence, our beauty, who didn't acknowledge that, um, they participate in what happened to this young woman. And I say that because what it is, is a, an, a lack of acknowledgement of her humanity. And so if you do that in the bigger, small ways, you're contributing to what happened to her and, um, and you're contributing to the larger problem. And I think it's those people who make excuses for why the police did what they did rather than acknowledge that a life was taken. 
and that, that we need to stop lives being taken. So, um, so it's when people don't see our humanity, that's when it makes it easy for this to happen. And, and I think that people that think of it as a problem over there uh, maybe need to think again and think about their own complicity within these viewpoints. I mean, I think of the young girl who was, it, I was so moved a few years ago when she, the video viral, viral video went around of her being thrown from her desk by a resource officer at her school. And she was just literally manhandled and attacked and thrown from her desk. You know, and I had an emotional response to that as an educator um, because I have heard attitudes toward young black women. And if you read the book, Push Out, you know, it talks about how young black women are also pushed out of education um, due to the, these views of, of black girls and black children and expectations for how they should or should not behave or should or should not be treated. So yeah, it is, it's a hard time, um, but it's also an illuminating time. Um, it's revealing everything that we thought, maybe people had thought we had moved past. And so when it's revealed, we can, we can tackle it. And so uh, as hard as it is to watch it and as hard as it is to process in this vacuum of social media where everybody's regulating how you should think and how you should feel and all of that, um, it's a time to become very discerning yourself and to have a very strong moral compass within you so that when you read things on the internet, you can know how you're saying, no, I have a right to my feelings. I have a right to how I'm gonna respond. And the collective experience might be, you know, this what happens to, to black youth and black people at the hands of police, that's collective. But the response to it is not collective. You know, we all respond differently. And so to be, to have your own moral compass and your own center is really, really important. It's what will then help you be a critical thinker as you move through watching these experiences and watching everyone else react to those experiences. I think that's what's happened. A lot of reaction and then a particular reaction gets validated as the reaction everyone should have. And then anyone who doesn't have that reaction is not woke or is too woke or is, you know, like all these things that, and labels that we want to put on people in terms of their opinions. And we're, but we have to go from our moral compass and say, okay, here's where I'm standing. So again, it's, it's things that we see as a negative thing can often be a thing that polishes us and sharpens us and makes us stronger people. I love how you bring the perspective of illuminating because I totally just trash social, social media. However, again, I am a lover. I have learned and have been able to educate myself. And as you said, stand strong in my moral compass of um, what I believe and what I know. Um, so that's a really big piece of social media is staying informed. That's the biggest part of why I stay on social media too. It's because it's like a newspaper at this point. I, I go into the Twitter moment to see what's happening. And I mean, that's not my only way of staying informed, but it's just one of the ways that I stay connected to this world and to my culture and to my friends and to the people who I, I don't always get to see or talk to. I mean, social media is very powerful um, in many on many levels um, for how we are able to educate ourselves, how we are able to grow um, and develop on thoughts and, <laughs> and understand nuance in situations as well, because there are different perspectives and different ideas and opinions of this topic. 
So it's, it's like I said, it's, it's double edged, you know, it's, it's two sides. It's, or like some people say a catch 22, um, you know, there's good and bad, but for the most part, I think when everything is just so thrown at you and so like pushed down and beaten inside of you, it, it gets, it's draining. Like I've had to stay off my phone. I just, I have not gone on my phone today. I haven't been on my phone in actually weeks <laughs> because I'm like, I'm tired, man. I keep hearing the same thing. We keep repeating and, or, and I think we should keep saying, and I think we should keep repeating because some people haven't gotten it yet. But for those of us who are like, okay, <laughs> I see it. Now it's just time to live it. Now it's just time to do it, to try and do the work of, um, you know, as you said, it's a lifestyle. You know what I mean? It's not starting this huge organization and um, doing this big thing. And if you can do that, of course you do that because <laughs> the people who are supposed to aren't. So, <laughs> you know, do it. Um, but, you know, if you don't have that, those means, you know, start off with your community. Start, I, I heard this term recently, bird by bird. I, it doesn't mean anything because I'm like, what do you mean? But I like it because it's like even something so small, you know, it's it's what you do. It's it's how you do it. It's it's not only you know the content, but it's the energy that you give out into this world that also matters. Um, and so, one of my other questions was, uh, how do we ensure that we are valuing? Uh, and appreciating all women equally. This is, you know, I mean, and just everyone, because that's that's also really important is valuing like and showing love to everyone. Yeah, like I think to me that's getting back to where I said when you when you can start with self love, then you can move out and have compassion and love for other people. And I think um, the the ability to see yourself in other women is what leads to the ability to have love for other women. Um, you know, and it's when we begin to other women, <laughs> other as a verb there, when we, when we begin to see not just other women, but people as other than ourselves, then that is when division occurs. And that is when we, um, when we, when we can't, when we can't extend that love to those people. I think it was um, Sri Aurobindo, I'm not sure, but one of, one of the gurus in yoga philosophy uh, was asked, how do we love the other? And his response was, there are no others. So what that means is we're all one. Like, and, and I don't mean that in a dismissive erasure of distinctiveness and like you said, nuance and you know, flavor that we each bring, you know, to the stew of humanity. Uh, we each bring, I don't mean to erase that, but we are all interconnected and we can all see a part of ourselves in someone else. And that ability to do that is that ability to, um, to, to love that person. And not just seeing a part of ourselves, because that could also seem sort of a little egoistic, you know, but seeing a part of, and this is where my spirituality will come into play, but seeing a part of the divine in someone else. We're all divine beings and we're all bigger than our human experience and our human body. And that thing that is bigger than our human experience is our spirit 
and spirituality connection with oneness, if you call that God, if you call that, you know, whatever the universe, like people call that different things, but we're all, a, we're, we all have something bigger than us within us. And if we're able to connect to that divine and see that divine in the other person, then we can bring that love. Even if we don't understand or get that person, we have to be able to see that they are at some point, there's a part of us in, a, in them. And sometimes it's not the part that we like. And that's why we have a hard time acknowledging it because we might see someone doing something that we don't like and we might not reflect back and go, oh, but I've done things that other people don't like. I've done things that I don't like. Like I've done things that I wish I had done differently. So maybe I could have compassion for someone who is doing something wrong or making a mistake or being other than their best selves, you know? And, but we all have our best selves within us. And so if we can just try to tap into each person's best self, then I think um, spreading that love will be a little easier. Absolutely, tap in to each person's best self. <laughs> I try to see the best and the better out of people um, because that's needed. There's so much bad going on that it it sometimes out doesn't it never outweighs the good but it can overshadow the good it can make it can make you dismiss the good or miss the good that is happening um to see the only part of the picture and not the whole picture so when you mentioned <laughs> the stew of humanity which was I, I love that how you mentioned that it's it's really not to dismiss anybody's background lived experiences or shared experiences because that's valuable However, we're all in the same pot. <laughs> you know, we're all just trying to get, you know, mixed in and have a good time. And I mean, stew, chill out. <laughs> and gumbo. yeah. The gumbo flavor. <laughs> Go, a gumbo, exactly. So it, it really does come down to, as you said, the divine. I believe that sincerely. I am a believer of God and the universe. Sometimes I'm like, it's the same thing. I don't know. I, I can't tell you. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I do believe though in a higher sense of self, a higher sense of love and a frequency of love where you just extend that to everybody. Even if you don't know them, even if they're not personally connected to you and you have no gain out of it, just do it. <laughs> like it's, it matters. It adds value um to not only you but to everybody to this world how we function that light can be transferred into other people um you don't know you saying hi to somebody and smiling could really brighten their day and change their attitude and change someone else's day you just you, you never know it's, it's very very true you know and 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 sometimes um I know I had a friend who passed away. He was a teacher and uh, people got to speak at his funeral. And um, one student just said that he was upset and he was in the hallway, not feeling great. And my friend who was the teacher who passed away approached him and just said, are you okay today? How's, how's everything going? And didn't really have much of a conversation beyond that check-in, but that student came to this teacher's funeral and never had him as a teacher himself, but was so moved by just that. You know, so we never know the impact we're having on other people. You never know. And I tell people like, I'll tell someone a moment that meant something to me and they're like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and so even just simple, simple acts 
where you don't think nothing's going to come from this. Something, something will come from it. No, it's everything happens for a reason. Everything in this life is intentional. Uh, no matter if it seems small or minuscule, it's intentional. It's there for a reason. It's happened for a reason. So I, I just love how I'm, we are all able to connect with one another. And I pray that this connection grows stronger as we leave this like post I don't even know if there's a post-pandemic because <laughs> it's still going on. But, um, you know, as we try to transition back into what our lives used to be, can we, can we bring back, can we, can we come back to connecting with one another and speaking to, to each other and loving on one another, even if we don't know each other um, and showing love, respect. Respect is a version of love um, to me. In my eyes, you show respect or yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I just have this whole system in my head that will be too, <laughs> too hard to break down right now. So yes, respect is a variation of love to me. Um, and that's, as you said, base level. That's it's just the bare, bare, bare minimum. As you said, said the, uh, you know, the person who did your order was like, thank you for saying thank you. Uh, because I've worked in customer service. People have thrown change at me. People have called me a name. People have, you know, sp spoke badly towards me. And then there's been some people who, one of them bought me a, like this little tile keychain thing to track my keys because I was so nice. Um, <laughs> another person, you know, said, thank you. Like you really brightened my day. This was such an awesome conversation and walked away. And I never saw that person again, but I was like, Man, I believe yeah. you. I believe you. Yeah. That was a valuable conversation to me and it made my work shift so much better. Um, yeah. So you don't even, it doesn't, as you said, it doesn't have to be these big actions. So simple yeah. to say like, I acknowledge you and I see you, however you say it, <laughs> just say it. It, it, it yeah. yeah. And I liked that you were saying you had, um, layers of love or layers of definitions uh, around love, you know, because I think when we say love, like love other people or love yourself or love, you know, whatever, there's such an attachment. Everyone has this, everyone has within them a different attachment or definition of what that word love means. And, you know, there, you could probably write a full dissertation on love because there are so many, there's romantic love, there's love you have for your mom, for your sister, for your friends, all of those are different kinds of love, but there also is love that you can have for a complete stranger. And when I and when we're talking about these little minor encounters with someone we don't know, that's love. You know, that's a love for humanity. That's a love for another human being. And so it doesn't have to be like when you say love the stranger, it doesn't mean like, oh yes, I, I love that person. It doesn't have to mean this huge effusive thing. It's actually really, really simple. You know, it's just treat them at the base level of humanity and care, you know, and that too is love. And I think that's sort of like gets overlooked, you know, when we, cause we have, maybe we should have different gradations and words because I think people attach a certain feeling to love that is grander than it needs to be in its most simplest form. It's very, very grand because you can do that in such a more universal way than if you attach a lot to a feeling that you want to reserve for just a few people that you care for. I love how you say, I could, I could truly write a dissertation. The love that, um, that I think of 
you mentioned like your love for your, like that you have for a parent and your mother. My mom has always described that as agape love. You know, there's different, as you said, there's different, nice. there's different even terms and languages to love. Um, love languages, <laughs> um, how you want to be loved. So it's, I, I agree. It's, it, it can sometimes people believe that it's, it, it's so much more like you have to feel this huge connection and bond that you can never misplace in this world <laughs> but you know it's it's not all that you have to have like um as you said love for humanity love for your neighbor love you know just again respect that you want them to go about their day you want it to be a good day you want them to win um you hope that they win even for in situations where someone has wronged you i think it's it shows love when you forgive and you, you try to let go, you don't forget because you're human. However, to forgive and to wish that person well and pray for them or to wish that person well and hope the best for them. Um, even if they're not at your table, <laughs> they can still sit at a table and eat a meal and be okay. And you know, they, they're still deserving of that because they're a human. Um, just humanize an individual. That's <laughs> basic one-on-one that so many miss. Yeah, I mean, you can love someone at a distance. <laughs> when we say love, we don't mean that you have to take everybody in and bring them home with you, you know? Like you can definitely love people at a distance as well. But yeah, and the, you know, the agape love, that's, you know, obviously that's faith-based, you know? Um, but I often I'm kind of intrigued and may write about, you know, love that that activists talk about, because when we talk about activists, we usually think of very angry people or they get portrayed as being very angry people. And actually what they really have is such a love for humanity and for justice and for you know the marginalized that they're willing to step out and take act, clear steps and actions toward making the world a better place. So that's kind of love I'm talking about as well. And that's also just a powerful, such a powerful love um, that, it, it drives people, even a, in a pandemic, people went out in mask and stood in solidarity, marched, protested, had violence and acted on to them for this love and passion that they have, um, which is, I think all of us should be grateful um, and blessed that there's that love that exists in the world because where would we be? Um, yeah, but, <laughs> we we've been we've talked for an hour now <laughs> and I could talk to you forever I feel like this is just a, a coffee chat with a friend so um <laughs> you know, I've had it's such a great time such a great time oh hi it's been beautiful talking to you Erica ditto I feel the same way it's been riveting riveting talking to you and I I, I feel you on, a, on a, a different wavelength and I'm so excited to you know work with you in the, in the future so thank you again um, for being here today. We appreciate your time. And if there are any last thoughts or ideas or things that you would like to plug, um, you know, please, please feel free to. Um, nothing that I'd like to plug, but I would just like to say, keep doing what you're doing because, you know, I think it's really, really powerful that you're doing this, um, that you're providing a space um, for people to share their their voice and ideas and thoughts and and you do it in a very uh, engaging way and so I really look forward to seeing who else you have on and 
you know, um, and I look forward to reading your final for my pay for my class. So, <laughs> so and I'm sure <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I, I know it is. I already enjoyed seeing the academic symposium, um, presentation. So, so yeah, my last thoughts are just keep doing what you're doing. And I look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you, Dr. Now. Thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing more from you. <laughs> so our next episode is taking care of your body, mind, and spirit. Uh, remember that you have to have such a great love for everybody and everyone in this world. However, we as women and we as individuals must always uplift one another and love on one each other because if we don't, who will? <laughs> so uh, with that said, thank you all for listening so much into Uncommon Woman for an Uncommon Time, signing off.